44 down, 321 to go. My name is Chris. This is at a theater near me. This is the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking about the movies The Beatles Get Back, the rooftop concert, as well as Bridesmaids. Um, Also, I went to the Liberty Tree Mall, uh, where I'd been before, the uh, AMC there. But this is the first time I've gone to the IMAX there. Uh, as well as the Red River Theater in Concord. I had never been to that theater before in my life. Uh, It's my first time going there. Uh, It's concessions month, of course, as well as give an update on the budget and a box office report. Uh, But let's get right into the theater experiences themselves. I went to the IMAX, like I said, the IMAX theater at Dolby Tree Mall in Danvers for the first time. First off, I wanted to go get a piece of pizza before the movie. And the uh, food court there had a sushi place and a pizza Regina the last time I went. It's only two restaurants that have the entire food court. I was like, all right, I'll go get a piece of pizza before the movie. That sounds good. Luckily, uh, someone tweeted out the day before, the pizza Regina's gone. So the only food, uh, the only restaurant, excuse me, in the food court is that, I think it's like Sea Lion Sushi. It's the only option available right now. Now there is a Buffalo Wild Wings in that mall. There's a Panera Bread. But like the food court itself is now, it's not even really a food court. It's just like a bunch of tables for the Sea Lion Sushi place. Very disappointing. That, that, that mall is definitely in, in tough shape. Um, there's a lot of abandoned stores in that mall. I will say this was the, even though it was a beautiful Saturday, it was the busiest I had seen the mall. I usually got on the weekdays and stuff, uh, but still the mall at least had some people in it. Uh, so there's some life in there. And uh, there were about 30 to 40 people at the, uh, at the Beatles, uh, the IMAX. The experience was, was pretty good. Uh, the IMAX there is, is pretty solid. I compare it to the Boston Common IMAX, where it's not an IMAX that's going to completely blow your mind, but it's also a much better experience than a typical you know theater would be. Uh, the sound or the, and the screen's obviously larger. And another cool thing was that when you walked in, they gave you a movie poster. So I'd say about a foot wide by two feet tall on poster board. That was a nice little souvenir. It's the first souvenir I've gotten so far uh, from doing this project. So that was a nice little take-home item. And the movie itself, I'll give a review at the end of the show, is fantastic. If you're a Beatles fan, you have to go out and see this as soon as you can. I don't know how long it's going to be in, in theaters for, but if you have an IMAX near you, I definitely recommend checking it out. But all in all, really good experience. And uh, I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the hell out of it. This it sounded great. It looked great. As the other thing is, uh, you know, Peter Jackson, the job he did putting this together from a visual standpoint uh, and having that on the IMAX makes it all the more stunning. So uh, definitely get out and see that if you haven't. If you're, if you're a Beatles fan, enjoy that at all. Heavily recommended. The other movie I saw uh, was Bridesmaids. I saw that at the Red River Theater in Concord. So this theater uh, is the kind of theater you want to root for, um, or at least I do. And there's a lot of care that goes into the theater. It's right in downtown Concord. I had spoken before how I'd gone to the Regal uh, cinemas in Concord. And that's kind of on the outskirts. Uh, if you know Concord at all, they have kind of like a, uh, they have a little downtown area. I don't say a little, it's, it's big enough. They have, a, they have a downtown area, but they also have a, uh, like a strip of like more chain stores, if you will. And that's where the mall is. That's where the Walmart is. And that's where the Regal cinemas uh, are as well. So, I mean, you know, that, that's going to be kind of a different atmosphere and attitude than it would be in, in a typical downtown. And the Red River Theater fits in pretty well in the downtown there. But they have a lot of rules. <laughs> like they have a, they're, they're very focused on, on COVID stuff. And, uh, you know, I've had to give my vaccine passport a couple of times. Uh, the AMC Boston Common was very stringent about the, the passport. They even like, had to show my ID with it. They were very, very serious about it. They're very serious about it at the Bridal Theater as well. And some of that comes from just 
city mandates. And, and that's, that's what, you know, you got to follow the rules. And that's fine. And I am, I am vaccinated. I'm boosted. And I think honestly, if you're listening to this and go get vaccinated, you know, you're, I, I, you probably can only help yourself, but if you don't want to get vaccinated, that's okay too. I'm just kind of tired of COVID. Like I imagine everybody is. Uh, but you know, in this place though, I guess for most of their showings, they don't even have concessions, which would be a disaster for concessions month, because I guess they don't want people taking their masks down to, to eat or drink. But I guess they do have concessions at some showings. And when that happens, you have to show your vaccine card and they call it, I swear to God, Vax and Snacks. So Snacks is like S-N-A-X. So Vax and Snacks. So you go in there and they were very diligent. I, we had, my wife and I had to show our, our IDs, our vaccine passports. Uh, and, and then we go in and we can get the, get the snacks there, which, which is fine. I understand that. And hey, you know what? They're a private business. They should be able to do whatever they want to do, whatever they feel they need to do, and you know, to make the safest environment for themselves and their workers. I get all of that. And to their credit, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Like, you know, literally, like I'm sure they're losing business by putting in some of these these stringent mandates on a private basis. I'm sure people might be, hey, you know what? Fuck it, I'll go to the Regal Concord instead. It's only, you know, five, seven minutes down the road. I'll, I'll go there as opposed to Red River. Um, so you got to give them credit for that. But the same token, it just is like, eh, I don't know, man, like really, like we're still doing this. Like, I, I mean, whether you're vaccinated or not, I mean, you can still pass COVID along, even if you're vaccinated. I, I mean, oh, I don't want to get down into the whole COVID thing, but it's, it's, you know, it's pretty clear at this point that being vaccinated definitely protects you um, and protects me. And, and as far as I'm not going to get as sick if I can track COVID, but I can still pass COVID on to somebody else if I'm, um, you know, not wearing a good mask or, uh, or even sometimes the mask they say don't even have that can't work. I don't know. I mean, I, I said the whole COVID is a pain in the ass. At some point you wonder, and maybe these are kind of just rules that they're looking to phase out more. I know they've had this vax and snacks policy for a while now. So maybe I feel like things have been loosening up just in the last month and a half since I've been doing this project. I have seen less and less people wearing masks. I still wear a mask, especially when I'm in the lobby or when I'm getting concessions or when I'm in a mall. I always, I've always, I'm always masked up. When I go into the actual cinema itself, if I'm the only person around, I'll take my mask down or take it off completely. When I see Godfather at AMC uh, at the end of the month here, I probably will leave my mask on, I'm guessing for the whole show. I mean, it's gonna be a pretty crowded place. So I probably will do that. But I mean, everyone, look, everyone's different. I'm not gonna judge anyone at all on this because everyone has their own personal reasons for doing stuff. But I think it seems the vibe I got from Red River was it was a little it was a bit too, bit overkill. Um, like the ticket even says like vaccine, like everything you look at, it's all this like reminders of the vaccine and, and, and COVID. And it just kind of left you like a eh, taste in your mouth or a, and you feeling in your stomach when you walk in there. It's like, I don't know if I want to be reminded of COVID like 10,000 times before I walk into the actual movie. But the lobby is well cared for. I definitely want to go back to this theater and spend a bit more time kind of walking around the lobby. The lobby's fairly small, but there were a lot of little details. They had really nice backlit movie posters up. They had some other nice um, like movie memorabilia stuff around. So I think it's obviously a well cared for place. It was incredibly clean. Uh, it was interesting when you walk into the theater that I was in, um, first off, the theater was sponsored. It was like Lincoln Financial Theater, uh, which is, I think, a probably pretty creative way for it to get some extra revenue for a private business like that. So um, good on them for you know maybe thinking outside the box with, with some sponsorship ideas uh, for the theater. And when you walk in, it's a middle aisle situation, which which can sometimes not be that great. But it's a middle aisle. But then uh, on each side, the left and the right, the seats are, are tilted to the screen. So it's not a thing where the where you're getting that middle aisle disaster where you're going to see people walk up and down the aisle because the seats are tilted to the screen and I don't know, say a 
90 degree angle, you don't see people coming up and down the aisle as much. It's not like they're walking in your direct uh, line of sight. So I, I, you can tell little touches like that. This is obviously a really well cared for place. I definitely do want to go back. The COVID vaccine snack thing wouldn't keep me away. I think if I think if they said they didn't have concessions, that might keep me away. Because um, what if I'm thirsty? I want to get a soda. I can't do that. I don't know. I, it also left me with an taste in my mouth. Okay, box office report here. So we have a new number one movie, uh, Death on the Nile. Well, it was number one this week. Made $12.8 million, opening week of release. Still not a huge hit. I, I mean, I think it's probably got to be roughly what 20th century probably expected to some extent. Um, movies like, you know, adult-themed dramas slash mysteries, whatever you want to kind of want to call this, you know, it's based on Agatha Christie novel. Like anything that's kind of slanted to, toward older adults just isn't working at all in the box office. So the fact that it was still open, number one, I'm sure they were happy with that to some extent. Number two is Jackass Forever. They made 8 million. Now this dropped 65%. We, we, I kind of talked about that last week, how you're going to have your diehard Jackass fans. And this is true with the previous four films as well. They're all going to rush out, go see Jackass opening weekend. And then you're going to see a, a massive drop off. And you see it here. I mean, it still made 37 million in two weeks. It's a great, great take for Paramount. This movie didn't cost any to make. Um, it's still gotten good reviews at $8 million. It's still, it's still solid. Hey, it beat number three, marry me. This is a, you know, Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson coming out the weekend before Valentine's day and Jackass forever. in its second week in release beats it. I only beat it by 50,000. Um, Jackass forever made, uh, 8 million, 50,000 and Marry me made 8 million flat. So, but I imagine, uh, you know, Universal isn't thrilled about that. So that not a great opening for Marry Me. And then the number four movie is Spider-Man No Way Home made 7.1 million, only dropped 24% from the last week. It's now been out for nine weeks. So those are the tier A movies. So those are movies, Death of Denial, Jackass Forever, Marry Me, Spider-Man. I really don't want to see this week. So now we're in that next bracket of movies I probably shouldn't see this week. Number five is Blacklight. That's the Liam Neeson action movie. I, I don't really know what they expected from that. That movie appeals more toward older adult males who once again, aren't going to the movie theater. So pretty weak opening. I'm sure that'll be in and out of theaters pretty soon, but I'm not going to see it this week. Sing 2, which made 2.9 million. I am going to see this on Thursday. Uh, this is dropping out of theaters pretty heavily. And then we're having um, a few more new releases next week. And I'm, I'm afraid I might miss this. So I, I am going to see Sing 2 uh, this week. Number seven is Moonfall. Uh, it made uh, 2.8 million. Uh, Sing 2, by the way, made 2.9 million. I'm going to wait on Moonfall as well, where it's only the second week in release. I think that'll still get some play. And then number eight is Scream, which I saw already. Uh, it made 2.8 million. So now the rest of the movies are movies that I think I could see with no real concern here. So I want to stop here and talk about number nine, which is Licorice Pizza. It made $922,000. It's terrible. The problem here is it uh, expanded. It was in 800 theaters last week, and this week was in 2,000 theaters. It's been out for 12 weeks. There's just no excitement about this movie anymore, even with the Oscar nominations. They should have opened this wide. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know why they had this weird delayed rollout with this. Um, you know, there was a, a week, the Morbius week, right, where nothing new got released. Why not open it that week? Um, you know, four weeks ago when this movie still had some heat around it. You know, instead you're opening, you're competing with movies like Death Nile, Marry Me, uh, The Second Week of Jackass. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you opening up this so so late? I don't understand. A terrible decision by United Artists. Um, really, really poor move by them. Number 10 is The King's Man. Uh, 11 is The Beatles uh, Get Back, which is, uh, by the way, made $412,000 and only 181 screens. So that's pretty comparable uh, per screen average to what Jackass Forever made. So, you know, did pretty well. Uh, number 12 is Redeeming Love, 
13 is Belfast. 14 is the worst person in the world. That's the film from Norway. I'm going to be seeing that uh, by the end of the month. It's playing at Portsmouth Music Hall, I think in a, a week and a half. Uh, and then uh, the quick 20 here, the 15 to 20 is uh, West Side Story, 15, 16, American Underdog, 17, Drive My Car, 18 is The Wolf and the Lion, 19, Parallel Mothers, and 20 is Encanto. Yeah, I mean, I think I've done a pretty good job by not having seen the top seven movies in the box office report, but I've done a pretty bad job beyond that. I've seen almost everything else in there. So because of that, I'm going to be seeing some pretty shitty movies the next few days here. So here's what the rest of my week looks like as far as movies I'm actually going to be seeing. Uh, I'm going to be going to the Cinemark in uh, Rockingham Park the next two days. So you're hearing this on Monday. I'll be going Monday and Tuesday. It's in Salem, New Hampshire. I'm going to be seeing The Sky is Everywhere uh, today, being Monday. And then tomorrow, I'm going to see How to Train Your Dragon. Um, that, that came out in two, 2010. For some reason, it's getting a re-release. I don't understand why, unless it's just to fill theaters. Similar to like Kung Fu Panda uh, last week. Uh, and then I'm going to see Who Are We, which is a movie about... Uh, it's a lecture, like a TED Talk about race. Uh, by the way, it made $15,000 this weekend, this Who Are We. So... Uh, um, or sorry, who we are, excuse me. So I, I'll be running out, I guess, to see that. It made $59 a screen. 59, and I mean, that's a theater, by the way. So the theater made $60. I, I don't know if I've ever seen that number that low. That's remarkably low. So I'll be, you know, paying my, you know, $14 to see that movie. Uh, <laughs> that's $59 over the course of a weekend. That's three days. It made $60 per theater. So $20 a day. That's like one and a half people seeing that. That's like hard to even fathom. So I'll be seeing that on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, probably alone, I guess. Uh, me and like half a person will be in the theater. Thursday, we'll be seeing two. Uh, so yes, yeah, so the movies I'm, I'm, uh, coming up for me, at least are pretty, pretty weak. I'm not really looking forward to any of those four movies. But you're going to have weeks like that. I mean, that's just, that's just how this project's going to go. So uh, I did want to talk about the budget report before we get into the reviews and talk about nerds. Um, so the budget now is I've spent $1,792. So $1,792. Uh, that equates to $40.73 a day. Or if we spelt this out the entire year, it would be $14,865. So that's actually a pretty big drop off from last week where it was like in the $16,000 range. So I think if I can have more and more weeks where I'm not going away and I can have more and more weeks where I'm going to AMC and Regal more, that won't be the case the next two weeks. I'm trying to see as many new theaters as I can the next couple of weeks before budget month starts. But uh, I think I can do a pretty solid job of trying to bring down that, that number um, to closer to the at least $12,000 range. Um, uh, okay. Nerds. So, Nerds is a great candy. Nerds does a great job. I enjoy nerds. I've always liked nerds. Nerds in a movie theater sucks. Awful candy from movie theater. Um, they're too small. So you get the box and you're pouring them in your hand and it's loud, or you're digging, or you're like you're digging your hand in the nerds to try to get them, which is weird and loud. They're allowed candy to eat. Uh, if you're spilling the candy into your hand and you're getting your mouth, they could spill. They're too small. Not a good movie theater canned at all. Uh, but I remember the boxes we get when we were kids, you know, have the box that has the two flavors. Like that's a perfectly good size of nerds. The other problem too is movie theater nerds, you get like a, it's too much, too many nerds. You get the box is too big. It's just not, just too much. Um, so I like the, you know, the old school ones you get like the, at the convenience store where you open up, you get the two flavors, you know, you could uh, even mix the flavors together if you were feeling wild that day. Nerds were great. Uh, but nerds in the movie theater, Cannot recommend. 
Um, but nerds were invented in 1983 by David and Judy Klein. They were called nerds because they were trying to offer a candy version of a, uh, a cereal they liked in the 60s. And I guess that cereal was called nerd cereal. So they were trying to like recreate that flavor with the nerds candy. Um, the most popular combo like on in the box, uh, if you will, is uh, grape and strawberry. Now the the box I had were rainbow nerds. So it was all sorts of different flavors. So that was good. That was you know, good to eat, you know, have the different flavors, but just, just, just movie theater doesn't work. There was a competitor of sorts to nerds in the nineties. I don't know if you're, maybe if you're, were a kid in the nineties, you remember dweebs. So this was also made by Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka for a long time made nerds um, and also made these, this candy called dweebs and dweebs were like a softer version of nerds. Uh, and also instead of having just two flavors in a box, they used to have three. So uh, I don't know if you remember dweebs at all. If you do, tweet at me and say which one you like better. Dweebs were dweebs were only around for a couple of years, but it's strange that like Willy Wonka would do that. Almost just you cannibalize the nerds' customer base. But I guess not. Even dweebs never really took off, and by the end of the '90s, they were they were long gone. Nerds are now owned by Nestle. Um, Willy Wonka uh, sold uh, a good amount of their candy lines uh, over, and uh, one of them was nerds, and now Nestle does own them. Um, so nerds, yeah, not great. So I'll put the poll out uh, of the the four uh, previous candies, including nerds. I'll have that up today, and we'll see what will join Reese's Pieces in the finals. So that'll be cookie dough bites, Twizzlers, Lifesaver gummies, and nerds. Okay, this Beatles movie. Uh, this Beatles movie is really good. One thing Peter Jackson did great is he didn't have any talking talking heads in the documentary. So the documentary itself is pretty short. It's only like 63 minutes. The concert itself was only 42 minutes. So the opening 10 minutes of the documentary is the weakest part. It's like a, like a quick history of the Beatles from like 1958 until the concert itself. It just feels kind of rushed and slapped together. You can tell they kind of Peter Jackson probably just threw it in there just to make this be over 60 minutes. So it can be considered a feature length film. And then, uh, and then you have the concert and then the end of the documentary is kind of the Beatles after the concert and kind of what they were talking about. And they actually recorded some extra songs after they did the concert in the roof that ended up on that Let It Be album as well. The 10 minute thing is fine, but you know, if you've been alive at all for the last 50 years, you know, you've seen these clips over and over and over again. But once it kicks into that day, which is January 30th, 1969, and it actually really kind of starts with the guys just going up to the roof. So we don't really see what they're doing beforehand at all. We just kind of start with them going up to the roof. It's fantastic. You really feel like you're there because they don't use talking heads, like I said earlier. So there's no like, you know, breaks where all of a sudden you have, you know, McCartney or Ringo saying, oh boy, you know, remember it being really cold all day. Like there's none of that shit. Like, you know, them reminiscing or people reminiscing or it, you know, it's just simply lives in the moment and it's all in real time. So you feel like you're at that concert. Uh, it is interspliced with, I guess there were three cameras on the streets that were interviewing people um, while they were watching it, you know, people had no idea this was going to happen that day. A lot of people didn't even know what music they were listening to. Like, do you know who this is? And they'd be like, they didn't know, or some people kind of guessed like, is it the Beatles? Um, and a lot of people couldn't, didn't even know where the sound was coming from. They had the, the, the cameraman and the um, interviewer had to say, no, they're actually on the roof. So people were just kind of confused. And a lot of people were excited about it. A lot of people didn't like it. Like some people are like, oh, I don't like the Beatles or this is affecting business or this is ruining traffic for this day. So it's funny how dismissive some people were. Uh, and then also the guys themselves were happening in real time. They do like a quick sound check. They do like a version of Get Back that is 
kind of rough. And then they get into their real version of it. So you hear all of these versions and um, you've seen their reactions to small things, to large things. And then there, there's even some drama, like the police want to come and shut it down because they get, I guess in the first couple minutes they were doing this concert, they got over 30 complaints. And the police station is right around the corner from the building the Beatles are at. So um, there's cops there waiting to go upstairs to shut this thing down. The Beatles are playing. The cops eventually go up to the roof. Like it's it's a it's a pretty exciting scene. And all the while you have this great soundtrack of, of Beatles music uh, that you see them playing. And it I, it's it's a really interesting experience. And Peter Jackson was so bright in making that decision to just let this breathe. Let this they already have shot. That's enough. That's enough to make this work. Um, having confidence in the material that you already have and having confidence in the players. I mean, we're so familiar with the, the Beatles. Um, you know, even some of the uh, other people like um, George Martin or Billy Preston, like we're even familiar with them. So even the side characters we know. So seeing different, everyone's faces react to, uh, to different things and kind of the excitement of being outside, the excitement of playing alive, how cold it was that day in January. Uh, all of that stuff uh, you can see on their faces or, or even in some of the snide comments they're making. It's really fun to watch. This is a really, really, really great documentary. I'm going to give this an A minus. This is the best thing I've seen that's come out in 2022. Um, I mean, it's not saying much. Like Scream was the second best. And beyond that, there's nothing good that's come out in 2022 that I've seen. Um, but this is really, this is probably going to end up being in my top 10 list by the end of the year, I would think. I mean, this is fantastic. I haven't seen the uh, Disney Plus get back the three-part documentary. I, I don't have Disney Plus and just kind of watching them make the album, I'm not as interested in. But this particular event, I was very interested in, in learning more about and, and watching it its entirety. Um, but this does kind of inspire me to, to maybe kind of suck it up and get Disney Plus and maybe watch this because I enjoyed this that much. Uh, the, it looks great. It sounds great. Uh, you know, Peter Jackson, as much as I don't like the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, is a visual. He, he's a genius. I mean, I think King Kong, I know that's a movie some people didn't like. I actually didn't mind it. It looks great. Even the Frighteners, the Michael J. Fox movie, that looked great. Like Peter Jackson is a genius with that stuff. And you can tell he really, really cares about the material. This is very good. So definitely check out uh, the rooftop concert. If you're near an IMAX theater that's showing this, um, do so immediately. The other movie I saw was Bridesmaids. No, Bridesmaids is a very good comedy that might be the best comedy of the last decade. Now, that's probably more of an indictment on the last decade than Bridesmaids being a great comedy. I'm going to give Bridesmaids a B plus. It's very good. It's very funny. Some really good performances in here. The cast is super stacked, especially in hindsight, you know, with Ellie Kemper or Melissa McCarthy, you know, kind of blowing up uh, after this movie came out. So it does have a super stacked cast. Uh, Rebel Wilson too, obviously. Uh, it's a really fun movie that also doesn't mind being serious or a little bit downbeat at times. I love that Kristen Wiig's character is someone that had their business closed. Like that is so relatable. And, you know, to have, you know, to open a business and have it shut down is, I've never had that happen before, but that must be so deflating. That must be such a difficult thing because when you open a business, that is your dream. Like that's a dream you're putting out there. And to have it shut down, not only is your dream get kicked around, but then also you've lost a lot of money. Like she says, oh no, I lost like all my money. Like, you know, you open a restaurant, a lot of people take out loans and, and it's almost like this horrible double whammy. And you could, and because it, it's, Wig is so good at showing the dramatic effect of losing her business and then 
you know, she's having some relationship issues too, but it's really the business in her dream that getting kicked around that really puts her in this negative place because she plays it so realistically and grounded. It makes that some of the wacky things she does, as the movie goes on, like you buy that she's earned that. Uh, and it makes the movie a lot more enjoyable and it makes the funnier parts hit harder because if it's just wall to wall, just like slapstick, silly, you know, people shitting in the street all the time. I don't know if that works as well. I think when you have some of these moments where there's a really good uh, scene about loneliness in this movie that um, it's about 60 seconds and it's Kristen Wiig's character is making a cupcake and um, she's a, she's a baker in this movie and um, she makes this beautiful cupcake all by herself uh, but she only makes one because she's alone and um, she looks at it and it's, it's beautiful when she's finished with it. And you can tell she has some pride about it, but she has no one to show it off to and no one to share that experience with. And there's not even anyone to eat it. So she kind of eats the cupcake by herself and she kind of, you know, I'm sure it tastes good, but it's just the sadness is more powerful than, than how good that cupcake tastes. And it's a really interesting scene about loneliness. There's not a word said in it. There's a great Fiona Apple song in the background. But it's like, oh, that's a really powerful, interesting scene to have in a goofy comedy where people are shitting in the street. Like, you know, to have have a scene like that in there makes makes this movie work on, on a different level. The other issue I have is the comedy scene in the last decade, you know, between cancer culture and political correctness. Uh, you know, comedies have really taken on the chin. I mean, you look at the best comedies of the last of the, the 2010s and you know, you have a couple of good ones in 2010, 2011, but you know, 2012, but then after that, you can see it really kind of, kind of falls off the cliff there. And then to the point where like the, probably the best comedy the last five years was uh, good boys. Um, and it's about like three junior high kids. And that's a funny movie, but like, that's not a great, great comedy. Um, but that's probably the best. There's nothing. People are afraid to make good comedies and look at like even a Paul Feig. So Paul Feig uh, directed this, um, he was the creator of, uh, along with Judd Apatow, him and Judd Apatow created Freaks and Geeks. So, you know, this is a guy that's very funny. He later directed Bridesmaids, of course, and directed The Heat. That's with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. Um, and he does Spies, another Melissa McCarthy movie. And then he does that Ghostbusters movie um, with the lady Ghostbusters. And that obviously, you know, was a disaster. And now he's directing like, this movie called The School for Good and Evil. And it appears to be like a fantasy, like a young adult fantasy film. Like he's not even doing comedies anymore. Um, and I don't really blame him. I, I mean, like, I don't know if there's a real corner to create inventive comedies that aren't just going to end up offending someone. I don't know what the next step is for comedies in movies. Until we have a reckoning with the cancel culture, I don't know what the next step is for comedies. You know, maybe we're seeing some of that reckoning with the Joe Rogan stuff uh, in the past week where Spotify is standing by Rogan. You know, we've seen Netflix stand by Dave Chappelle. And, you know, obviously those guys are maybe, quote unquote, like too big to fail. Until we kind of, the companies kind of stand behind the creators and we see less of a real quench to censor and a quench to deplatform people. I don't know if it's like, safe. I don't know if it's profitable or makes any sense to make comedies for mass audiences in movie theaters. Um, I know, you know, look at movies like 40 year old version. I mean, you go back and watch that now and you know, it's like, oh man, you could never make this today. And that movie hasn't, no, that movie came out 15 years ago. Like these are not old movies. Um, and I'm not saying everything in that movie is a, is something we should have in movies. It definitely is an immaturity level in some of the early Apatow stuff for sure. And it's obviously, it's, you know, Go through any comedy and you'll see some of that. You know, even look at like meatballs with some of the Bill Murray stuff in there. It's a little creepy and weird or a lot of creepy and weird. Uh, but there has to be some sort of balance where, all right, maybe we have learned from some of the 
some of the things that have come out in the last 10 years. Maybe we don't need to always go in that incredibly non-PC direction all the time, but we also don't need to be canceling or censoring every single joke that might be borderline offensive either. There has to be a middle ground. We have to let comedians kind of put your foot in your mouth moments, but at least give them the chance to fail. Uh, I, I, I don't know if this current situation works with, with comedies. Um, so I don't know. When, I don't, how, how sad is this? I don't know. The next time we'll see a movie as funny as Bridesmaids in the theaters. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's something really funny that comes out this year. But, uh, you know, I've gone to, what, 40 movies so far, and most of them have come out in 2021 or 2022. And I haven't seen anything even remotely very funny. In fact, you don't really see many comedies anymore. Uh, it's almost like that, that business is mostly closed. I mean, you'll see comedy adventures and things that maybe have some jokes in them, but you're not going to see, I mean, I, you know, maybe Jackass, right? Jackass is, it came out, but that's his own brand of humor. Um, but like a traditional movie comedy, like we've seen the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years, really since Animal House, that movie, I don't know if it's made anymore and maybe it never will be again, or maybe it won't be for 10 or 15 years. I don't know. Um, but yeah, comedy is not in great shape, but Bridesmaid itself is very funny. Um, great performances throughout. Kristen Wiig, by the way, co-wrote that. It was nominated for an Oscar. You wonder if her career has panned out. Like, is, should she have done more? I mean, she's had a nice career. She's been, you know, she's in the Wonder Woman movie. She's uh, not, obviously in that Ghostbusters movie. And she's had some small parts in some good movies. I really like that Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, she's in The Martian as a small part in that. So, I mean, she's been consistently working. Uh, and, you know, Lauren Michaels, I think he said she's the best performer of the last 20, 30 years uh, on that show. She, he speaks so favorably about her than he does about anybody else that's even quote unquote modern. I don't know if I've ever heard him speak that lovingly about anyone in the cast. He, he's a huge Kristen Wiig fan. And I think she's good when she's not being too wacky or goofy. I think she's very, very, very good. I don't know why she doesn't write more either. Um, I don't know. Uh, okay, so I'll be back on Wednesday. I'll be covering the movie The Sky is Everywhere. That is a, uh, I think like a young adult movie. Uh, it's an A24, so hopefully it's, it's good. That, that, that's a movie studio. There's a lot of like independent films that are usually pretty good. Uh, and then uh, How to Train Your Dragon. I'll be seeing both of those in Salem, New Hampshire. And I'll be back with a new uh, concession as well for next episode. So I will talk to you folks on Wednesday.